Hey everybody, Justin White here, and you're about to listen to episode 23 of Power Forward. Our guest is Grant Botma, and he is the founder of Stewardship Mortgage out of Arizona. Grant is a really interesting guy. Grew up on a dairy farm in the middle of seven kids and started working as a bill collector at just 15 years old. It was then that he took a different approach to working with people. It's an approach he still uses to this day in all of his businesses. Grant does mortgages, investments, insurance, and he also owns a technology company. In everything he does, Grant and his team are driven by a unified purpose. You're going to find out what that is and how other businesses can follow suit. Grant has some contrarian views, shall we say, on success, being a leader, and attracting top talent. You'll hear all about that and much more coming up right now on Power Forward. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to inform, entertain, and educate. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast series do not constitute legal or other professional advice, opinions, or endorsements of any kind. This is Power Forward. All right, welcome back to Power Forward. Justin White alongside Mateen Cleves. Mateen, what's happening, my friend? Justin, just living a dream, and please don't wake me up. There it is. There it is. We got to get it in there. (laughs) Mateen, let me ask you this, because you you have been a part of great teams, championship teams, Mm -hmm. both in the basketball world and now in the business world with, with our company. When it comes to having a unified purpose, and by that I mean everybody truly being on the same page and rowing in the same direction, so to speak, how did you approach that both in in sports and how do you look at that now in a business sense where you really have to have every single person on your team uh, unified in what it is your goal is going to be? Justin, that's a great question. And what I think, what really resonates with me and what I – when I was leading and how I went about it was it had to start with me. I, it was never about me. It was always about the team. Every game I played, everything I've ever done, it was always about other people. And when you get a when it starts with your leader, it just trickles down. And when you you get a, a group of people that's thinking the same way, that's when you have championship teams and successful uh successful businesses see see listening to what you just said to me that the thing that really stands out is is sacrifice right yes. sacrificing your own needs for the needs of others and, and while you may be on the team and you want to go out there and do certain things that you know you're good at and know you're capable of and know that can help the team win sometimes you may have to push those things to the side for the good of the team as a whole right oh for sure every game i play especially at michigan state I was playing for my teammates. It was never about me. I never went out to score the most points. I never went out to get the most assists or make, you know, have these big stats. It was always about the team. But what a coincidence going out with that mentality and playing for other people. I would usually play well when yeah. I had that mentality. So that was something that worked for me. Yeah, when you go out there and do things the right way, the, yes. the old saying goes, good things will happen. That's right. All right, well, let's bring in our guest today because uh, he he believes strongly in, in this same uh, vision, this, this same philosophy that, we are, uh, that we're talking about. Grant Botma is with us. He is the founder of Stewardship Mortgage. 
based in Gilbert, Arizona, and he is with us here in studio. Grant, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to Power Forward. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. <laughs> Man, has United Wholesale grown like crazy. Oh, yeah. It is a blast to just be in this cool studio with you guys. This is an awesome setup. Yeah, we uh, we love it. It's our, uh, our humble abode here. <laughs> yeah. But um, tell us a little bit about, you know, you and, and, and your company and why, you know, having a, a unified purpose statement, as, as you told me when we spoke uh, previously, why that has been such a, uh, a pillar of, of what it is your company has, has been able to do. Yeah, simply put, um, I believe that a purpose, um, going to work and actually doing something that matters, something that makes an impact on real people is one of the most motivating things in the world. And when you can do it, as Mateen said, with sacrifice, right, with some selflessness, uh, then that unifies people. So it's, it's one thing to be on a purpose to do something that matters, but it's another thing to do it in a way that unifies you with other people and you get to do it as a community. So uh, that's been a big part of stewardship and, and, and definitely uh, one of the keys to our success. To, to, to back it up, I guess, because that was great, and, and I have yes. thoughts on that, you know, the, the unification part of what you just said. But, but I guess to, to take a step back, tell our listeners out there a little bit about yourself. You're obviously in the mortgage industry. You're a mortgage broker. Um, you're also a, a financial advisor. You do investments. You do insurance. You do a little bit of everything, but, but give our listeners out there a, a little bit of a, a peek inside your world and, and what you do. Yeah, so uh, the company I own is called Stewardship. And uh, we do home loans as a, as a brokerage, insurance as um, an independent insurance agency, and investments as an investment advisory. Uh, so we, we help people with their finances. Our community kind of knows us, and our kind of uh, niche and name is we, we love people through finances. Mm. And that's our purpose, is uh, to genuinely try to put our customers' needs first together as a team and uh, serve them well and love them well in their finances. And if we don't do that, what happens is the people in our community, their finances don't get handled well. And if that happens, it impacts relationships. The number one cause of divorce is money fights. The number one uh, relational issue, reasons, it's, it's all tied to money. So for us, it's super important that we're taking care of our community as it pertains to finances, and that's the mission that we're on together. Wow. And, and you know, listening to you, you wear an a few different hats. You know, you guys <laughs> do a multiple of uh, things. There are some people that, that like to say, well, you should just concentrate on one thing. If you want to be great and you want to be successful, you should just concentrate on one thing. But it seems like that's not your attitude. No, no. And uh, probably what will be discovered throughout this interview is I'm very much a contrarian. If, if somebody's <laughs> saying, hey, go do one thing, I'm going to go, no, nah, I can do it the other way. Uh, I've just always been kind of that guy. You know, you drive downtown, you see the big buildings. I don't get intimidated and think like, well, those, those companies or those people that started that are super special. I mean, they are because they worked hard, but they're no different than me. And here's the thing that, that I think people should hear. They're no different than you, the person who's listening right now, right? And um, for me, I, I got passionate about this topic, about genuinely caring about people through their finances. Man, when I started in the mortgage industry, it was crazy. And it was really sad watching some of the stuff that happened. And to me, I, I thought it was wrong. And I, I wanted to change it. And not to be that, hey, look, I'm going to be a knight in shining armor on a white horse and the only one doing that. There's a lot of great mortgage companies out there. There's a lot of great finance companies out there. But I just wanted to be another one in my community that was doing it the right way, that was genuinely putting the customer's needs first. Um, 
So yeah, for me, I am doing one thing, Mateen, uh, but that one thing isn't the mortgages. The one thing is genuinely loving people through finances, and we're finding <laughs> like any area of the finances that we can serve them in. You, you talked about you know finance being such a, a huge part of people's lives, and you know the negative impact it can have if if things don't go well. When did you first kind of latch onto this? How did that work? Where you you kind of saw uh, an opportunity to really go out there and be a person who could educate people on the right things to do financially and, and obviously then spinning that forward, the, the positive effect that could have on the rest of their lives. Man, uh, it started at a young age. Um, so if, if I rewind all the way back to high school, I'm 15 years old and there's this company that many people know of, Discover Card, right? And they had mm-hmm. a job fair at our high school. And part of the rules, because they were at our high school, even if you weren't of age to work there, they still had to interview you because they were there at the high school. So I lined up because I didn't want to go to class and uh, I was <laughs> part of the interview. And um, apparently they uh, liked what I did in the interview because by the time I got home, there was a message on uh, the, the home answering machine, they were asking my dad for permission for me to come work there. So at, at a very young mm. age, I got to work as a credit card collector. Okay. Wow. And uh, what happened through that process is um, I'm calling people who are past due on debts. And, and again, a little bit of a contrarian, right? So you were supposed to kind of pressure people into paying. And I didn't, wasn't down with that. To me, it didn't make sense. Um, if they were past due on a credit card, they were likely past due on a bunch of other stuff too. Right. So instead of calling and asking for money the first time, I called them and asked them, what's going on? You know, well, why are you past due? How's life going? What's, what's happening? So you'd hear about the job they lost, the medical thing that happened or the family thing that was going on. And I would just listen and I'd take really, really good notes. Um, and then from there, the next call I would make, I would ask them about that situation because the notes would show up on the computer and I would say, hey, look, you know, how's your grandma doing? Or, hey, did you find a job? How's things going? And eventually what happened is when they had money, who was the first person that they would call to pay, right? Right. So now a couple months into the job, my inbound phone line is ringing off the hook and I'm winning these awards and doing different things at Discover Card. And they're like, what's this 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid doing? You know? And it was just all that mindset of, of just genuinely trying to care for their needs before my own. And it sounds like novel, like, oh, Grant, you're really a great guy. But to be honest with you, I'm, again, I was 15. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't need the money, really. Right. I, I, it's not like I was trying to pay bills or care for like a family. I just, I just did it and, it, and it worked out. So yeah, that, That's heady stuff for a 15-year-old. <laughs> oh, man. Years ahead of the game. And you talk about that care, and I just want to comment on that because I think some people go about it the wrong way. Mm. I asked a room full of people the other day. I said, how do you show someone you care? And they said, you do this, you do that, you do that. Just care mm-hmm. because if you genuinely care about people, you'll do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Because, and you'll go over and beyond for them. And let me uh, ask you this because you, it seems like what drives you is helping people. Yes. You're in the mortgage industry, but it's not the money. You like helping people. Can you, can you explain to our listeners, like, what type of uh, gratification you get and what, how that make you feel uh, inside when you, when you help someone. Yeah, I believe I'm, I'm here on this earth and I'm created to make a positive impact on other people. Wow. So um, for me, we talked about purpose at the beginning of the podcast. When I'm doing that, I'm meeting my purpose as to why I'm here. Uh, it's in, it's kind of like I teach my kids. If if they jump up and down on the, the couch like it's a trampoline, they're using it for something different than what it was made. And if you use things different than how it was created for, it'll break. Yeah. So to me, again, I was created and I'm, I'm here for this purpose to make an impact on other people. And the more I do that, 
the more I'm, I'm doing what I'm, I'm created for, and I, I receive more than just joy, Mateen, but I receive unbelievable amounts of peace and satisfaction mm. and kind of like momentum to keep going and doing it. So you told us the story about the job you had with Discover Card. Mm-hmm. How, how did you go from there to, to the mortgage industry and, and now, you know, with, with stewardship? Yeah, so uh, still in high school. Now, fast forward, I'm, I'm in a church youth group. I'm, I'm 18-ish years old, and I'm, I'm about done with the church youth group, and they're taking their last trip, uh, and I'm in Arizona, and we're going to drive from Arizona to California to go to the beach. And if you've ever been on one of these like youth trips, they basically, you know, you, you pack a whole bunch of people into a 15 passenger van and we had, uh, you know, the surfboards and the boogie boards and the whole thing. So you have to take a turn sitting on the hump in the front between the youth leader and the youth pastor. <laughs> and when you were sitting on the hump in the front, you were going to get grilled, right? And they were just going to make fun of you and it was going to be really great. <laughs> So it's my turn to sit on the hump in the front. And the youth leader's like, hey, Grant, you know, you've got a, a decent car and you always have money. What, what do you do? You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm a credit card collector. He's like, okay, let's pretend that you have to collect from me. And we did this kind of fake phone call. And it was hilarious. And he had the kids rolling and it was great. But eventually I got him to pay. And uh, as the trip <laughs> ended, he's like, hey, I need, to, uh, I need to chat with you. I'm like, okay. And then he called me back later and pursued me. He's like, no, I really want to chat with you. And he owned a mortgage brokerage. Oh, and he wanted man. me to come work for him. And um, he's a wonderful man and, and uh, trained me and mentored me. Uh, and that's how I got my start in the mortgage industry. Um, I, don't know, I was 18, 19 years old. And I looked like I was about 12 years old. You know? <laughs> and back then you had to show up to people's homes to sign the application. So I'd knock on the door and yeah, they would open and they'd look at me and they'd look behind me like, when's your dad coming type thing, you know? But uh, <laughs> that's kind of how I got into the mortgage industry. When, and when you first started, um, any bumps or bruises? Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I always had to overcome uh, is my baby face and, and kind of the, the, I guess, more soprano tone that I have in my voice. I just sounded like a kid and I looked like a kid. And I always had to overcome that um, with uh, two things. And these two things are really like the pillars of, of what stewardship stands on. I had to overcome them with wisdom and empathy. Mm. And if I could uh, genuinely make people experience the wisdom that I had, the knowledge that I had, and the empathy, the genuine care, when those th- two things combined, it didn't matter what I looked like or sounded like because they were in. Wow. So you clearly you know, are, are dedicated, like, like Mateen was saying, to helping people. That, that is your, as you said, your, your purpose here, here in life. Um, when you think about your, your days growing up, and I know that you were one of seven kids, right? Yeah. How, how did your, your experiences growing up uh, as one of seven children, and you grew up on a dairy farm too, how, how, do, how do those experiences, you think, how did they, they shape you uh, and prepare you for, for what was to come later on in life? Man, it, it shaped and prepared me like crazy. Um, Middle of seven kids, you learn relationships, right? You learn that you can't be selfish. You're just not going to survive. Growing up on a farm, you know, I got to watch my dad work and work hard. So I I learned what what a a good work ethic looked like. He mirrored that for me. Um, But at the same time, you know, life happens and it wasn't always easy. And um, uh, there was a a, a point when, you know, my parents got divorced and my father was incarcerated and and it's just my mom trying to figure it out with, with, with basically seven kids. And then I got to watch her sacrifice like crazy and work hard and, and try to make it happen. And um, so again, m- both of my parents, they, they showed, you know, nobody's perfect, them, myself included. Uh, but the ones 
thing among many things that they taught me was was a work ethic and how to work hard and, and to really grind when you need to. Mm. And, 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 and it's funny that you say that and, and that you're a successful person mm. because I know some people in life, they try to give themselves an excuse. You mm. know, we have even some of our younger kids coming up now. Well, especially in my community, you know, my father's not there. Mm. I'm raised by my mom, you know, and mm. I, then I have to babysit my brothers or sisters and mm. I can't do this. Or they come up with a bunch of different excuses. But you, I mean, you're a bright light. You know, it's mm. like you didn't make an excuse. Seemed like you made a way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And, and really, um, I was very fortunate to have a lot of amazing um, people pour into me. The number mm. of mentors I've had in my life has been countless, uh, from basketball coaches uh, to Mr. Timmer in junior high who would you know, pull me aside when, when, my, when my dad was in jail, all the way through to college basketball, you know, Coach Roth and Coach Morley, who taught me what it's like to sacrifice and be a man, how to be a good husband, how to be a good father. You know, um, I've had amazing mentors in my life, but I think a lot of it is a mindset. Um, I, again, I genuinely believe that everybody is, is capable of something as long as they work hard for it. And uh, it doesn't necessarily matter the circumstance that you're in. Uh, that doesn't have to define you. Um, your work ethic and where you end up can define you. All right. Well, well, you 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 mentioned the key word, the buzzword. So I'm just going to say it: basketball. Uh, so <laughs> I wasn't going to say yeah, it <laughs> for once. I'm going to bring it up. Uh, you know, you you were a basketball player. You played in college. Mm. Um, what what did your experiences playing team sports, playing basketball? What did those things teach you? Uh, that you have now kind of carried over to, to building your own team at Stewardship? Yeah, you know, uh, Mateen, if you think back to basketball, sure, I guarantee you, you and I miss the same things. We miss the squeaking of the shoes on the floor. We miss yep. the ball bouncing. We miss uh, playing in front of a crowd. Uh, but what we miss the most, uh, and I've never met you, so I'm just guessing, mm-hmm. just because I know, we miss the team. Oh, yeah. We miss the people. We miss those relationships and the friendships. And we talked earlier again about a unified purpose. When you're on a team, that's that's why you miss it. You're unified together in this unbelievable, unique way for a purpose. And uh, playing team sports, playing in college basketball, I mean, that was – that's really what – carried over into stewardship and beyond. Now, I was blessed enough to win a national championship Mm. in college back in 2000 with Michigan State. And – those relationships that I built with that team mm-hmm. are lifelong relationships. Mm. You know, we're coming up on our 20-year reunion, and all the guys will get together. And I get emotional just thinking about, you know, hanging out with those guys. And most successful team or successful companies, those are lifelong relationships. Oh, yeah. that, that's something that you don't just turn your back and it's over, you know, after that last game, you'll keep those relationships for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. Like you, uh, currently working with people that you played basketball with, same thing. Yeah. Uh, I've got uh, one of my business partners on the insurance side. Uh, I played basketball with him. Uh, the guy who runs kind of our automation and ads and stuff behind the scene, uh, I played basketball with him. Those are two of my best friends. And you, you don't know? have to question those guys. You know they're going to exactly. work hard every day. You know what? That's a, that's a great point that you're making. That's a funny story because – the guy that is doing the automation and the data and the computer stuff behind the scenes, like when I tell people that he does that, they're like, what? Marshall does what? His name's Marshall. <laughs> because he's a basketball guy. He's yeah. a coach. And he's the guy that you had to help like type stuff on the computer because he had no idea what he was doing. 
But to me, it's like, you know what? I can teach anybody to do a thing, but I can't trust everybody. Right. And right. if I've been through the trenches with him, I've already been unified with him on a purpose together selflessly. You know, he was the floor general like you passing me the ball when you probably shouldn't have trusting me that I was you know, put a bucket. <laughs> and, you know, it was just I, I trust him implicitly. Uh, I trust him, you know, with almost anything and everything now in my life, including something super precious to me, which is which is the business. And man, he just excels. So, so you bring up the word trust, and to me, that translates to culture, right? To to build a a good culture, you have to have people that you trust. Um, when you looked at building your company culture. Um, where did that fall for you uh, in the pecking order, so to speak, in terms of the, the priorities? Because, you know, when you're starting a business, you know, there are a lot of different things to think about. But where did culture come into play for you? Well, that was a journey that um, d- it wasn't something that just came from the beginning. Look, I, I went to a college and, and I double majored in Christian ministries and business administration. So I had some classical education as far as business management was concerned. And I tried to apply those things to uh, my my company. And to be honest with you, it didn't go well. Um, a lot of the things that were taught in classical business school and management, it just, it didn't jive. Um, so I had to kind of a couple years in hit the reset button and, and, and dive into social science and behavioral science and why our brains work the way they do. Um, I, I, I went away from the management books and went more into uh, psychology and studying, you know, how, again, the human brain operates and why our society makes the decisions they make. And, and it adjusted uh, my culture from there. And it was, it was then that, that that culture was a big deal. And you said trust. And trust is a huge part of the culture. And one of the things that that classical management says is uh, trust is is earned. I actually believe it's opposite. I think trust is given. Okay, trust is given. Um, so I give trust to all of my team right away, rather than saying, you know what, if you perform here, then 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 and you and you behave then we'll say you belong and you're a part of the team, right? No, I go the other way around. From day one, I let them know that you belong. You are on this team and I am giving you my trust. And because of that, they then behave and their performance dramatically increases. So I kind of have a different switch on it. Wow. It's counterintuitive, but the, the way you just explained it, it makes a lot of sense, right? It does. It does. It's funny because... I just heard Matt Ishbia talk the other day, and he said the same exact thing. Now, you know me, I grew up in Flint, Michigan. It's a little different. I grew up around some people with rough edges. So I always felt like, you know, you had to gain my trust. But I like that analogy. It's two successful people that I've been around the last couple of days, and they go about it the same way. Well, here's the thing. You can give somebody trust right away. You can give people the benefit of the doubt. But there's some things that they can do that would make you then remove that trust back. Okay, right? yeah. And here's the thing. People might say, well, Grant, you don't understand. I don't know if I can trust the people on my team. I can't give them that trust. I would say this. That's a you problem mm. because you hired them. You need to make Great sure point. that when you're hiring people and you're bringing people on your team that they are trustworthy folks, or more importantly, you as a leader are willing to give trust. So again, a you problem if you're not giving it. You you brought me exactly to the next question I wanted to ask you because of the fact that you do give trust right away. To me, that would mean you really have to do your due diligence on the people that you're going to bring onto your team and make sure, like you said, that they are bought in to that unified purpose that you already have in place. Yeah, for sure. Hiring is 
a labyrinth, man. It is a tough thing to try and figure out. Um, and it's a really, really big deal. You have to do it the right way. And I'm fortunate and grateful to have an amazing team. I'm quite literally, we don't have the success that we have without them. We recently won Inc. 5000 Fastest Growing Company in America Award. Woo-hoo! We are... Uh, the guys on my team are you know, top one percenters here at UWM, and they're just they're just high performing folks. They're unbelievably trustworthy. They're amazing people, and uh, uh, part of that has to do with the intentionality that's part of the hiring process. Again, I don't necessarily care about the skills. Too often, people are looking at a resume and they want to see the credentials, right? No, not me. I'm looking at the resume so I can see what the email address is so I can go ahead and stalk them on on social media, <laughs> right? I want to see what, what they got. Is it all selfies? Are they all about themselves? Or are there other people out there tagging them in pictures because they're volunteering at places or because they made an impact on somebody's life, right? I'm then going to ask you know, for a something really awkward, like a video uh, for them to send in less than five minutes. And in that five minute, I'm going to ask them, hey, why did they think that they should come work and be a part of my company? And what I'm looking for are words, phrases, and statements that align with the unified purpose my team is already on. Can they get on the bus? Are they going to naturally do that? Because I can teach somebody how to do mortgages. I can teach somebody how to do insurances. I, I, you, can, you can teach somebody that. But I can't teach somebody to love well. I can't teach somebody to be selfless right. as a reaction or as a habit, you know? And those are the types of folks that I want in my culture. So, so because I know what my unified purpose is, it's very clear, I screen for that throughout the entire hiring process, and that's the number one thing that we look for. So during the interview process, was there someone that, I mean, was smart? I mean, I mean, very skilled at what you were looking for, but did not align with the way you do things. Did you have ever have a situation like that? A hundred percent. And everybody listening knows that person. They yeah. know the person who's an unbelievable, say, salesperson, whose numbers are really, really great. Uh, it's the guy in the basketball team that if you give them the ball every time, they could score 30 points, but they're gonna, probably going to take 30 shots. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they're not maybe going to play defense or get back on defense so quickly, or they're not going to spread the floor and, and have the right type of spacing that you need so that you can do the things you want to do. And that negatively impacts. They're not on the bus. They're not on that purpose, right? So, yeah, definitely have seen that before. And, and you know what? Y- you have to have the discipline to be able to say no to that because the resume and the accolades, they look shiny. But if you know for a fact they're not going to meet the unified purpose, if they're not an emotional, intelligent person who's aware enough of themselves and aware of others, oof, you don't want that. And let me ask you this question as well because – as far as interviewing people, mm-hmm. how do you decipher through someone you think that's a little nervous mm-hmm. or someone that's maybe being untruthful? You know what? I like nervousness. Okay. And and I'll just lay out my hiring process now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm, I'm asking for... I'm taking notes here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm asking for a resume. Um, and when... Um, I'm asking for resumes publicly, I'm not putting a job description out there. I I create what's called a job announcement. It's a one-page website that talks all about the unified purpose. It talks all about freedom and autonomy that we provide in our business. And it talks all about affirmation that we provide. Those are the three things that I think are more motivating than money. It doesn't talk a whole lot about money. So the people that are coming my direction are not people who are just looking for the most high-paying thing. Because again, 
how I'm attracting them isn't by saying we pay all this money. I'm attracting them by saying you can be on a purpose with a team, you have freedom and trust, and you're going to get affirmed and learn to be a master of a craft, right? That means I'm going to be attracting people who are likely already gainfully employed. Gainfully employed folks are most likely trustworthy. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. so so that's kind of where that that starts, right? So then from there, that's when I ask for that video, and in the video, what I'm looking for is somebody who can talk about the unified purpose, maybe even sees it on our website and has done enough research or has followed me on social media, and then they're talking about it. And then um, after that, I'm going to ask for an email, and there's four or five questions that I'm intentionally asking, but in that, I'm again trying to figure out will they be able to thrive in the type of freedom that I provide. Or do they maybe need more structure? Do they appreciate the type of affirmation that I give? Um, and other things like, you know, how close to the job are they? Yeah. Does the pay work? Stuff like that. But honestly, by the time they come in for the interview routine, I already know I want to hire them. Mm. And a lot of times I will be so confident in the interview that I'll turn the interview around and say, hey, look, you thought you came in here that I was going to interview you. No, you interview me. <laughs> I want to make sure that you know you want to work here. <laughs> Ask me anything you want. Ask me anything about the company. I want you and your family to be totally on board with coming to be a part of this family. Those are always the best interviews, right? Mm -hmm. Where you end up interviewing the interviewer just as much as they are interviewing you, the interviewee. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, at least in my experience, those are just the, the most uh, impactful interviews. And usually it's, it's the best uh, relationships that form from those situations. But Mateen brought this up earlier, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit, that there have been some some bumps along the way. You know, obviously no, no one's going to uh, have 100% shooting percentage. No. Um, and, and you mentioned... Uh, to me, a story about an employee you had who quit, and you learned some lessons uh, about why this employee quit, and it taught you some things about what you weren't providing for this person. Tell us about that. Yeah, so again, when I first started, I was applying all of the stuff that was in the classical management books. And one of the things was you do these quarterly performance reviews, and in the performance reviews, you set a goal, and you're trying to set a goal for this person that's just outside of their reach. And what the management books teach us is that means they'll try hard and reach for that goal and they'll maybe achieve greater than what they would normally achieve. Well, what that happened every quarter, he's not meeting these goals that I put out there because I know they're out of his reach. It's just beating up his confidence. Mm. He, was, he was having zero affirmation. And Mateen, if, if the ball is in your hands and the clock is winding down, the one thing that you want above anything else in the clutch is confidence. Confidence, for sure. Confidence will increase performance. So I was killing my employees' confidence by managing the way the classical management book says, and that was a big, big mistake. And eventually got to a place where the confidence was so gone that he's like, you know, I don't know if I could do this anymore, and he leaves. Uh, well, luckily enough, you know, I, I learned my lesson from that and eventually I got him to come back and work for me because he's an unbelievably trustworthy person, super smart, right? So he comes back to work for me and he's doing great. I mean, performing super well, doing very well. But eventually, over a period of time, he starts losing some of his passion for the job. And the mortgage industry is kind of tough. <laughs> You're the person that uh, everybody's looking at. Uh, you could be giving them the best deal in the world, but if you close one day late, you're the biggest jerk in the world now, right? <laughs> and uh, it's, just, it's just a rough industry to be a part of sometimes. And he was started losing his passion. And the reason why, and here's the other big lesson that I learned, I was not perpetuating the unified purpose that I had in my own head 
throughout the rest of the company. Mm. He felt like his job was meaningless. He didn't know that the work that he was doing was genuinely making an awesome impact on real people's lives, that the interest rates that he was giving were, were really well below market. He was helping people become homeowners, the cornerstone of their finances, doing things in a really great way. Like that's a big impact on somebody's life. And I wasn't perpetuating that language. So he didn't think he had a purpose. So what does he end up doing? Well, he ends up quitting to go be a missionary in Thailand to go fight sex trafficking with him. Him and his wife just moved there because wow. there's a purpose there, right? Yes. Wow. yes. I mean, th th that's what he was missing. He was missing a purpose. Um, the passion had waned and he had no purpose and that was on me. Uh, and that was a huge lesson that I learned. And, and from that day forward, that's when I really dove in, like I said, to the social science and learned like I've got to make sure that this purpose that I have in my own head for starting the business can't just be for me. Everyone's got to feel it. Right. Communication, I, I, right? Yeah, communication big time. And you just said feel it. I, that's something that uh, I think is very important when you're leading people. Like you said, in the book, it was certain things. You know, you go, you do this, you do that, you do that. I think that's a – reading books and having, you know, things like that as a resource, it's good to have that as a resource. But at the end of the day, if you want to be a great leader – it's going to be, you have to go off a feel because mm -hmm. everybody that you're leading is probably a different person or a different different personality. For sure. Yep, for sure. Yeah, there's different personality types. Everybody's going to react to things differently. So you have to have that feel. Uh, and, and the more that you can have that feel from your team, the better that you can make them feel what's most important. And that is that they are doing work that matters, mm -hmm. that they are doing great things, you know. And, that, and that's honestly today, especially people want that when they go to work. Oh, they yeah. want to feel like they're making a difference. It's not enough to just go yeah. somewhere and do your job and then go home at the end of the day. Most people out there want to have a purpose. Like you said, in the mortgage industry, even here, we got 5,000 plus people. No matter what your role is, you are having an impact on people achieving the dream of home ownership, and it's important to let them know that. Oh, you're 100% correct. It's statistically proven that's what people are looking for. There's been study after study after study, Harvard Business Review, Deloitte, I mean, all the big companies out there that are saying and proving what you just said. One of them recently was this. People who are graduating with their master's degrees, right, super qualified people, are willing to take a 25% pay cut to work for a company that has a purpose that's actually making an impact versus a company that's not. A 25% pay cut. Mm. Now, that's a big deal. So you've talked about all these things that you've learned, the experiences that you've had. You turned it into a book. Yeah. The, the book is called The Problem Isn't Their Paycheck, How to Attract Top Talent and Build a Thriving Company Culture. You turned that into an online course. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that process. You know, it was kind of a weird thing. I, I fell into it. Um, you start having a little bit of success in the finance world and other, you know, places want you to come speak at events and do different things. And it was great and, and really enjoyed it because, again, why I'm here, I want to I wanna really love people and help people, right? And I was making an impact at these events, but then eventually my, my assistant comes to me and says, hey, you know, we're traveling a lot and we're not able to get done what you really want to get done. I don't think we could travel as much. And I said, well, I still want to help people. What can I do different? And uh, that's when these things came about. The, the online course and the book was a way for me to not only – take the message that I was sending out to people about company culture and about how we were able to have the success that we had. But um, it allowed me to go deeper and to give people real examples that they could copy and paste from my business and from my experiences so they don't have to have the same mistakes that I had, you know? Um, and, and that's really what the book and, and the course are about. Wow. You know, 
At one point in my life, I want to write a book, Mm -hmm. all right? What was the process like for you? Well, like many things, Mateen, uh, perception is not reality. The perception is you're going to sit behind this uh, blank Word document and you've just got to type away. Mm -hmm. That does not happen, especially with really great publishers. There are many authors out there, uh, guys that I look up to, like Michael Hyatt, and and he's publishing a book a a year, and, and he follows this exact same process with his team. Essentially, you have what's called a scribe, and they will listen to you and talk to you and create an outline for what this book is. And Mateen, I talked more for my book than I actually wrote. Wow. So, so I'm able, through some intelligent questions through the publisher, able to just communicate um, this outline, communicate some of the details and the stories, and then uh, a scribe writes it out together, sends it to me, and then that's when I really go to work typing, right? Hmm. So I'm not working from something blank. I'm working from the words that I had spoke in previous interviews. And over a period of months, it comes together and, and it is, is a book. And there's a team of people with you know, the grammar police to make sure it all looks look I, you guys I'm again I'm in the middle of seven and grew up on a farm I was kicking cow patties as a kid I'm not super intelligent you know so you know they gotta you gotta have a team of people behind you to help with that stuff but hey if you say you want to write a book 100% Mateen you could do it and uh, the perception is not reality um, it's it's a fun, fun thing. Um, I Going into it, I never wanted to do it. Uh, but now looking back after this one, I'm like, I'm ready to do another one. It was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. so, nice. so Grant, you wear all these different hats um, a- as a business person and, and you're out there trying to help people, but you also are a family guy. Uh, you, you've got three kids. So how, how do you strike that balance between your, your work life and then also your, your family? Uh, I think the first thing is a paradigm shift that I don't really try to separate my work and my family life. I kind of believe it's all one. Uh, Again, I I believe I'm here to make an impact on people's lives, to love people well. And that's the purpose that uh, my wife and I have in our marriage. Um, And that's also the purpose that uh, we have as a family. Um, It's it's often that I repeat back to my kids. I'm like, what is life about? And they all say, love. Uh, or they all say others. And then I say, okay, what do we do with others? And they say love, right? And that's kind of our theme. That's the same thing what I got going on at at, at work. So when I'm working, um, my wife is doing the things that she does at home and it supports what I'm doing at work. So she's on that mission. I make her and help her feel that she's on that mission. She's making an impact too. Um, In addition, I also am... You know, my kids are on that same mission. My kids are also doing those things. Um, it's, it's, it's something that we're here and doing together. It's not my business. It's our business. Does that make sense? Yeah, for um, sure. So as a result, you know, January for me is typically a busy season. Um, and, and I know that. And I speak about it ahead of time with the family. So what we do is we plan before the busy season to make sure that we can have some really great family time. We just got done, you know, spending some time in, in, on the beach, Carlsbad, California, doing the Legoland thing, you know. It was great. <laughs> Love it. And, uh, and, and after this busy season's over, typically in the month of March, I live in Arizona. It's beautiful weather, and I have uh, Cubs spring training season tickets. I take basically nice. the entire month of March, and I work part-time or don't work at all. Um, and I just spend it with family. You know, there's seasons of life, and I bring my family with me through those seasons, whether it's a busy season, whether it's an off season. Man, it's a great balance. You, you got to figure it out. But you know what's another thing he said, Mateen, that, that really kind of resonated with me? Because we were, we were talking on the phone about, you know, being a dad, you know, and, and all that goes into that, being a parent, you know, in, in general. And, and Grant said to me, you're ready to be an awesome dad when you're ready to say no to yourself more often. And, and mm. isn't that true? 
Because from, from the moment you become a father or a mother and, and you're responsible for another human being, it's about everything <laughs> but you. Yeah, it definitely is. And that, that's the first thing when I had my son. It was like instantly. It's not about me anymore. Everything I did in my life was for him. You know, and my wife and my family. It was never about me after that point. So that's a heck of a point you made, and it's definitely the truth. And that, and that seems to to translate nicely to your business philosophy, mm-hmm. right? That it's just it's not about you, and and not only are you okay with that, you really truly love that part of it. Yeah, I I am not perfect. I make mistakes often, and there are days and there are moments where I make life about myself. And you know what? That's when I'm not only at my worst, but that's when things go bad. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so it's it's uh, not just like, oh, this sounds cool to do that, to put others' needs first. It's like, no, my experience tells me life sucks if I don't do that. Right. right. Uh, right. Uh, my relationship with my wife is terrible if I'm being selfish. My relationship with my kids is terrible if I'm being selfish. My business fails if I'm being selfish. But as long as I'm genuinely looking to serve others, put other people's needs first, and regardless of whatever the relationship is, it goes well. So, so here's a question for you because you know you've said multiple times here that you kind of have a, a contrarian view mm. on a lot of things. You know, when it comes to your business, when other people approach you about being a successful business owner or, or becoming an entrepreneur, be- because you have this rather uh, contrarian way of approaching things, you know, how do you give them advice, or what are the things that you tell them if they're looking to kind of go down the same path that you've gone down to achieve success? I think that the heart of every business is this one thing, finding needs and filling them. Hmm. Full stop. That's it. And that, that is what it's about. There is, if there's a need out there, if somebody needs help, if, the, if somebody is not being served in a way that they could or should be, and you find a way to fill that, that there it is. There it is. And the heart of that, again, is genuinely putting other people's needs first. The entrepreneurial spirit is all about finding needs and filling it. Did you write that down? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, man. Like, just It's funny when you're around people, man. No coincidence that you're you're successful at what you're doing. And and another thing, like, finding – did that come from sports? You know, like – because I know some things, you know, business – with me being in corporate America now, something sports and business kind of go hand in hand. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I wasn't the greatest player. I was just another kid who could shoot, and a lot of times I didn't shoot very well, right? <laughs> but uh, um, when I first was on the team, the need that was there was uh, to make sure that the other people on the other team didn't score well. So I had, I had to learn to be a good defender. I had right. to learn to make someone uh, uncomfortable when the ball was in their hands. Right, right. right. And uh, that was what I focused on because that was the need. So I filled it. There was also a need uh, for energy on the bench, uh, for uh, encouragement and affirmation to the rest of the team and uh, to be another mouth or voice of what the coach was also saying, perpetuating mm-hmm. that message. So, again, I was finding a need and filling it. So did it come from sports? Sure, it definitely came from sports, but it, it's, it's, uh, it really comes from almost every life circumstance. And, and I'm glad you said that. So the people that are listening, pay attention. When you go to these offices and you're around, find what they need. Sometimes if you can feel that need, you're more valuable. It, it might not be a leadership position at first. Find a need, and then you can be valuable and you can help the company succeed. Love it. Uh, you know, Grant, a lot of the people that we talk to, um, our guests included, 
are early risers. You know, they, they get up at the crack of dawn or, or way before that, 4 a.m., you know, to, to jump on the computer, answer emails, or, or to go work out and get their day started well before anybody else is even out of bed. You are contrarian also in that respect because you do not do that oh, at all. Oh, this should be a good yeah, one here, t- Justin. T- tell us uh, about your approach to starting your day. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I'm not a huge fan of this uh, hustle fallacy that you've got to go, 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 grind, 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 grind. Again, there's seasons and you got to wake up super early and work long days and sometimes don't sleep. Like, that's the way it is in certain seasons, but it's not sustainable. Like, we're genuinely, our human bodies aren't created for that. Uh, we won't last. And um, sleep is unbelievably important. It's one of the more important things. You will die quicker without sleep versus without food. Mm. Like, that's a thing. That's really how our bodies are made. So sleep's a big deal. And I think those people out there who are waking up early because they believe that's what successful people do, you got to find your own rhythm. You got to find your own circadian rhythm and you must prioritize sleep. And I'm not saying that to say, hey, if you do wake up early, you're doing it wrong. I'm saying that for those people who really aren't morning people, be encouraged. You don't have to be because I'm not. You know, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, you know, I own a mortgage company, an insurance agency, financial planning firm, investment manager firm. I also own a, a technology company. I just wrote a book. All these different things that I'm doing, right? And I wake up about 7.30 or 8 every day. Like, right. And that's, that's me. And I really, really enjoy that because sleep's important and it actually helps me be successful. Well, it comes back to self-awareness, right? You totally. know that you're not a morning person, so you're not going to try to force it. You're not going to wake up at five o'clock in the morning because that's just not you. No, no. Yeah. And it, there's just a lot, I think, of, of fallacies out there about what you need to be a successful entrepreneur, successful business person. One of them is you have to wake up early. That's not true. The other one is you have to read a lot. Um, I don't think that's true. I'm, I wrote a book, but I don't really read well. But what I do good at is listening. So I will absorb mm. crazy amounts of knowledge through like Audible or podcasts, right? And uh, one of the cool thing is our, our human brain can actually retain more information when we're listening to something than whenever we're reading it. And here's a kind of a pro tip that I do. When I'm listening, I can actually speed it up to like 2.0 or 2.5 speed. And then when it's going so fast, it forces me to focus more. So I retain even more and I can get through more information. So look, if you're not a reader, you're not an early riser, you don't have to be. Uh, you can find ways to augment it and change yeah, it. A winner is going to find a way to win. That's right. Well, I wish you would have talked to my college coach, man, before <laughs> I had to get up early in the morning and oh, work man. and work and work and work, man. I, Grant, I needed you about 20 years oh, ago. Those were the worst practices, man. It's like cold <laughs> in the gym and your lungs are feeling it. It's like, come on, coach. What are we doing here, man? man you, I, th- I thought you were going to say, I, I wish you would have talked to my college professor about reading. It's like, uh, it both yeah, both well for the numbers exactly. that we're going to get on this podcast. I'll tell you that much. Exactly. Well, well, Grant, um, we really appreciate you taking the time for us. This has, been, been, this has been a great conversation. You know, you have a... You have a really refreshing perspective, um, not just on business, but on on life and people, um, and, and the way that you really approach everything. And you know, it, I think for you, and I've heard this one before too. And I think it applies for you. you. You tell me if you agree that the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And, and based on this conversation, it seems like you're pretty consistent throughout all aspects of your life. Yeah, I'd, I'm not a huge fan of uh, two faces and, and hypocrisy. Um, it makes life a whole lot easier and simpler if I just do it one way. 
And man, it's been a ton of fun being on this podcast. It's been it's been a blast chatting with you guys. And and the the reality is, any success that you know, quote unquote, I've had isn't me. It's it's an it's an us thing. And uh, it's it's all about my team and how great they are and the things that they're doing. It's about all those amazing people who have poured into my life and supported me and supported uh, my family. Like they were amazing human beings and amazing people that paid it forward to me and uh, I'm just honored and grateful to, to be able to come on today and chat a little bit about that and I know you love helping people and mm-hmm. I'm listen the people that have listened to this podcast they've been helped mm-hmm. so you should feel great about that this has been a fantastic podcast good stuff Grant oh, thank you sir Grant Botma from Stewardship Mortgage thanks so much for joining us we really appreciate it thank you to make sure you never miss an episode of Power Forward subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and leave us a review And look for another new episode coming your way two weeks from now, featuring more inspirational stories of success. I'm Justin White. We'll see you next time on Power Forward.